No Junk Mail presents The Trading Post, Chapter 3, read to you by the author, James R. Von Felt. Monday, Day 3. When you've experienced dark night, deep in the woods, without moon or stars, it's easy to discern the dawn. Slowly as I blinked my eyes, the black night became shades of gray. Little by little, the light illuminated the water and trees. Shadows became more distinct. For a while, I just laid there as in a dream. What's happening? Where am I? What day is this? The questions moved slowly through my mind as I gazed around. The waterfall roar had become background noise for us. Shadows of trees were emerging from indistinguishable black and ghostly misty fog. Breathing sounds were regular. I was warm and almost dry and could smell sweet smoke from the fire that was smoldering in front of the lean-to. Listen, Philip whispered from beside me, followed by a long pause. For a long time, I didn't move. I listened, but I heard nothing unusual. As one of the others stirred in his sleep, I heard it too. A patter of feet, a puff, a snort, a grunt. Something was moving in the bushes off to our left. I froze, listening, not breathing. I could feel Philip's eyes straining to see into the shadows. The lean-to was built out towards the pond, which means our heads were pointed towards the pond. The camp was on a slight rise with clearings on both sides. Fifty feet to our left were bushes, brush and falling trees right up to the water. On our right, we had a clear view of the beach for about 200 feet. We were about 50 feet from the water nestled back towards the woods. The sounds were coming from our left, behind the bushes, along the shore of the pond. Whatever it was, it was making more noise than most animals make, and from where we were, we couldn't see what it was. Philip grunted something as he got to his knees. I was the only one awake enough to follow. We picked up spears and quietly approached the bushes. As we got closer, the sound stopped. We froze in our tracks, not making a sound. It seemed like forever before the sounds began again. This time we'd heard even more sounds of whatever it was, jumping around energetically. We inched forward. When we were within 12 feet of the bushes, they shook at the bottom near the sand. A nose and two black eyes appeared. At first, I thought it was a dog, a small, hairy dog. We didn't move. The two eyes stared at us. We stared back, spears posed to strike. 
Behind the two staring eyes, there was more shaking and noise. Then another nose and a small head pushed under the bushes and looked directly at us. We didn't move. They didn't move. For a few more seconds, we just stared at each other. What you looking at? Alex yelled at us. We jumped, and the noses disappeared, squealing and yelping as they ran away. Philip looked at me directly in the eyes and said something in Inuit of just above a whisper. It was how he said it that got my feet going in high gear. I twisted, fell in the sand, and scrambled towards the camp right behind him. Alex was standing in front of the lean-to with a big grin on his face. I guess he thought Philip and I were playing tag. The others were stirring but were still under the lean-to. Bears, Philip yelled at the top of his voice. Spears, he yelled more in Inuit, but it didn't matter. We knew we were in trouble by the sound of his voice. The shout was effective. It startled everyone, and we were moving. Without further instruction, everybody came out of the lean-to and grabbed a spear. Looney had the sword. We ran, jumped, shoved, and dove into the ice-cold pond water in front of our campsite. The cold water woke us, if nothing else had, and we formed a line, pointing our spears at the bushes. We were ready for anything, but we didn't know what the danger was all about yet. In his normal, quiet voice, Philip explained that he and I had seen two bear cubs. He pointed his spear at the bushes. There, fish garbage, he said. Just then we heard a terrifying roar, then another, and it was not the waterfall. We looked at one another and took another step backwards in the water. Billy, who was right beside me, tripped and went under. His spear stuck up and jerked around as he came up spitting and coughing. Suddenly, a big mama bear lunged through the bushes into the clearing, roaring as she came. She stopped, rose up on her back legs, roared menacingly, and looked around for an enemy to destroy. Then she spotted us in the water. It was clear that we were the enemy. She lowered herself to the ground and leaped towards us. She roared, showed her teeth, and shook her head back and forth. Philip shouted to us, Stay! So we stuck our spears out a little further, aiming straight at the bear. She saw that we were not going to run away, so she made another menacing leap at us, which took my breath away. Still roaring, she stood up on her hind legs and clawed the air with her front paws. Her huge claws extended. It looked to me like she was at least 20 feet tall. It was terrifying, and there was no place to go. We knew that a bear could outrun any of us, and we had seen them in the water catching fish, too. Philip stood his ground, giving us some courage, but mine was evaporating quickly. My spear was shaking, and I could see Billy's eyes looking around, wondering where he could go if the bear charged again. Alex was trying to say something, but all that came out was stuttering. 
The bear continued advancing towards us, taking a step, menacing us with those teeth and claws. The teeth looked bigger and bigger as she got closer to the water's edge, only 12 foot or so from the water she raised up again, roaring and intimidating with her paws. Kapow! The sand in front of the bear exploded. That got her attention and ours. She thudded hard on the sand, looking directly at us and menacing us with her teeth, but not roaring at us. Kapow! The sand exploded right under her nose this time. The bear took her eyes off us and jerked her head to the right, looking into the forest where the noise was coming from. Then she looked at us one last time, roared, and turned back. She had decided to go back to where she left the cubs. Perhaps she thought that something out there more dangerous than us was threatening them. There was a third explosion, this time right behind her rump. Convinced, she loped off, jumping through the bushes and out of sight. We were too scared to move. We stood there. Spears pointing towards the spot in the bushes where she disappeared. After a bit, Looney spoke up. Is it gone, he asked. No one answered him. Philip scanned the forest to see where the shots had come from. By the sound of the shot, it had to be at least a 30-30. Billy yelped and jumped. What's wrong, I asked. Fish, he answered. Sure enough, I felt a fish glide by my leg, too. Our minds normally changed gears rapidly. It was a great relief to have a distraction as our minds turned to food, specifically fish. Billy gently herded some fish towards the shallows. We followed his lead, and as soon as we could, we started spearing fish. We were getting better at it. These fish turned out to be speckled and brown trout, and they were fairly big. At least they were big enough to hit with a spear. Soon we were standing there in the water, showing each other fish we'd speared. But no one was moving out of the water yet. Philip and Daryl stayed on guard, moving between us and the bushes. But they were still in the water, too. Daryl's left wrist was hanging at an awkward angle, but he had his spear in his right hand, holding it in the ready position. Stay in water, Philip said. Then he told Daryl to go over to where Billy and I were standing. Next, he told Looney and Alex to come stand guard by him. Looney got his sword out in case the bear came back. Eat here, Philip said. That was good enough for us. We'd eaten raw fish before. Sometimes when we were down at the Columbia River and we were in a hurry... Or maybe we didn't want to take the trouble to make a cook fire. We did fish raw. Trout were good. When I finished my fish, I speared another. Then I took Looney's place and gave him the fish. He moved over to where Billy and Daryl were spearing more fish. Philip said, eat lots, no more till home. We liked that idea as we speared and ate fish. Bit by bit, our anxiety level changed from immediate death to dangerous to cautious. But we stayed in the water anyway. Okay, I've got one for you, Looney said. Not another dumb joke, Alex muttered. 
Where'd you get these jokes? Billy added as he held his nose, making the gesture that the jokes stunk. Ignoring the comments, Looney continued, How do you get in touch with a fish? He asked. I don't know, I replied. You drop him a line. Looney grinned and drove his spear into the water after a fish. We bent over and moaned at his joke between bites of fish. Philip ate three fish. Some of us had more. We ate till we were full, and this time we threw the scraps in the water so they floated away. It was early morning and overcast with a slow drizzle, but daylight just the same. We stood there, shivering in cold water. Philip told us to stay there a bit longer, at the ready, which meant pointing the spears towards the bushes. He and Looney, sword in hand, went into the woods. After a while, we were so cold our lips turned blue, so we moved out of the water and sat in a circle by the edge of the water, back to back for warmth. This way we could also watch for danger in every direction. We talked quietly. We had a lot of questions and no answers. Who had scared the bear away? What was the caliber of the rifle? What would have happened if the bear hadn't been scared away? Which direction should we go to get home? How long would it be before we get home? On and on went the questions and the speculations. When Philip and Looney came out of the woods, we joined them, greeted them with yells. Philip looked nervously towards the bushes. Bear still around. Leave now, he said. Looney chimed in. We found tracks. Somebody scared the bear away. It didn't take us long to get our gear together. The fire had been smoldering, so we put it out with water and sand. We picked up the backpack, fighting sticks and spares, and were ready to go. Then Philip said, bear tracks and man tracks. Man tracks from Scout. No store-bought shoes. Carrying something heavy. As 3030 found bullet casing. We follow tracks and leave bears. This sounded good to us. We followed Philip's lead getting back into the normal order of line, spears pointing up with Looney bringing up the rear with the sword. We were moving silently, as silently as we'd ever walked, so we could hear any signs of attack. We were tracking someone, and we didn't know who it was. We also weren't sure we wanted him to know we were following him. Eventually, the roar of the waterfalls was barely noticeable. The wind, birds, and occasionally a small animal surprised by our presence were all that we heard or saw. It was getting darker the further into the forest we went. There were some hills, but no pronounced grades to go up. Philip followed the man track and sometimes pointed out something special about it. We labored on for about four hours before we stopped for a break. We stopped and gazed. Before us was a hole in the canopy of the forest. A large red alder had fallen over years ago, leaving a small spot for light to stream to the ground. The sight was beautiful. 
As we sat once more in our customary circle, Alex asked, Which direction are we going in? We knew it wasn't south or southwest, which is where we thought we should be going. We would hit the Columbia River by now if we were going in that direction. Philip replied, Northeast. Darrell, digging in a rotten tree trunk with his fighting stick, found a few grubs. Billy and I declined. We found some choice earthworms, though. After resting, we moved faster and were not so cautious or quiet. We chattered a little. Philip was quiet and preoccupied. Darrell was quiet, too. As we approached a huge boulder, Philip stopped and raised his hand. We had used signs for a long time and could talk to each other with our hand signals. We took it seriously. Philip signed us to move up to where he was. He was at the edge of the boulder, which must have been 30 feet across. On the other side of the boulder and halfway up a small hill was a natural clearing and a small, rough-built cabin. We could see a door on this side of the cabin, but no windows. A small wisp of smoke was coming from somewhere on the roof, though we didn't see a chimney. Stay, Philip whispered. He crept towards the cabin, moving from bush to bush for cover. After a bit, he flanked the left side of the cabin, still staying in the bushes. Then he disappeared. We waited, looking intently. All was silent except for the sound of the forest. You, a voice behind us boomed. We jumped and gulped the air. I'm not sure that was the exact word I heard, but that's what it sounded like to me. Given the surprise, I'm not sure how I even recalled the word. Anyway, it was not an angry word or a command. It was more like an inviting word to get our attention. The man standing there looked at us, did not move or speak further. He just looked us over. I wondered how long he was there looking at us before he spoke. We were watching Philip so intently, we certainly hadn't seen the man as he approached us. But we saw him now. There he was, standing in tattered, homemade deerskin clothes. His jacket, pants, hat, and even his boots were deerskin. This was a real-to-life mountain man with long, scraggly hair. We had heard of mountain men. We had read stories in school of mountain men who had preceded the gold rush going west in the olden days. We even made up our own stories about him. This guy wasn't as tall as I had thought a mountain man would be, and he didn't have big scruffy beard like we had seen in picture books. But he was here in front of us. He walked right past us. He didn't speak as he brushed by us and headed to the cabin. We hurried to catch up. That's when we heard Philip's call. As I said before, we all had calls, and this was definitely Philip's call. It was like a whippoorwill, but not quite. You could make a call exactly like a bird, but if you did, no one would tell it was you. So each of us had our own distinct call. My call was like a screech owl. Everybody told me that was dumb, because you only hear the screech owl at night. I didn't care. I liked it, and I could do it loud or soft, 
and they always knew it was me. As we were following the mountain man to the cabin, Philip appeared. He came around the corner of the building, stopped and stood still, fixing his gaze on the mountain man. Soon they were face to face at the end of the cabin. The mountain man was taller than Philip by about six inches or so. He was about five feet ten inches, I guessed. The mountain man said something to Philip, but his back was to us and we couldn't hear what he said. Then the mountain man turned to us and said something, but I couldn't understand the words. He walked to the door, opened it, and went in, leaving the door open, an invitation for us to follow him into the cabin. The story continues on Chapter 4.